friends, and welcome back to the To the Heights podcast, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Olivia Colombo, and I am a young Catholic changemaker sharing stories of people who are reaching to the heights in terms of social justice and making sustainable change in the world. This season, we're calling it Hope in Humanity, and we're focusing on people and organizations, secular or religious, that are social justice oriented and have creative solutions to the many problems that our world is facing. Today's guest is no exception. My name is Joan Bailey, and I am the director at Friends of the Unborn, which is a beautiful maternity home for young women who have found themselves in um, an unplanned pregnancy. Joan Bailey is the director of Friends of the Unborn, which is located in the heart of Quincy. I was introduced to Joan by Mother Olga of the Daughters of Mary of Nazareth, who was one of the podcast guests way back in season one. Joan tells us the story of Friends. Well, the story is really a beautiful one. In 1984, Marilyn Burney, who is the founder of Friends of the Unborn, um, she had heard the plight of young women that were being pretty much forced into an abortion because they were either getting kicked out of the family, you know, the families were kicking them out, boyfriends were forcing them into it. They really had no choice. And everybody was jumping on the bandwagon of women's choice and healthcare. And back in 1984, if you were caught in an unplanned pregnancy, there really wasn't a choice given. And Marilyn was just heartbroken. So she contacted the pro-life office in the Archdiocese of Boston and said, what can I do to help? This is atrocious. And they said, would you consider being a shepherding home? And she had to step back and say, okay, let me talk this over with my daughters. She had two um, teenage daughters. She, it was 1984. She was a single mom and they didn't have a whole lot of extra room to spare. So she just kind of thought it over and the girls, her daughters immediately said, you know, mom, if you think this is a good idea, sure. So we'll open up our home. So Marilyn truly just opened up her home, her heart and her love to one young girl who um, she said, all right, she called back the archdiocese and said, sure, we'll do it. And they sent a young lady to her home. And she just, from that point, when she opened her home to a pregnant girl, and I remember Marilyn saying she was scared to death because the girl had purple and green stripes in her hair, (laughs) math shorts, you know, a couple of piercings here and there. And she was like, what have I gotten myself into? Butting in here, no hate on those with colorful hair. I, myself, Olivia, have had green and blue hair, though it was not a great look. I am sure that this girl, on the contrary, was rocking it. A theme in the story is listening to God's small and slow movements, on which Joan elaborates. But she kept saying, and I always found this so amazing, she goes, I just kept following the promptings of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't know, I don't know if the Lord would be prompting me to take in total homeless people into my home. Yeah. But she just did. She took in one girl, and within six months, there were five other women living wow. So it just fell into place and she kept trusting. She always said, I trusted in the Lord. If he wanted me to do this, he would provide. And he did. He provided the right people who came along and said, you know, if you're going to do this, you have to do it right. Let's make this a nonprofit. Um, we'll get help you get set up. As a matter of fact, um, it was Marianne Lutine's husband. Marianne Lutine's in the, the office of the pro-life office of the archdiocesan. Her husband, pro bono, set up, help her do the paperwork to get it set up as a nonprofit. Again, the Lord would provide. Yeah. And Marilyn just, she didn't go out with a business plan. She didn't do fundraisers and say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. I, I kind of want to just open up a home for, you know, for pregnant girls. I'll be able to help them. I know it. this will be a good idea. 
she just opened her heart and her home and her love and just said, God will provide. Talk about a leap of faith. Yeah. And for over 35 years, he truly has provided. When she moved beyond her home, places opened up. You know, um, somebody was willing to rent at a very affordable rate for her to have a bigger space. And then as time goes on, she had more and more women, you know, like 18, 20 women. And back in 1988, 1998, 99, um, actually Tom Flatley came to Maryland and said, I have a place I think you're, you're going to like. It's a big home. You'll be able to put everything under one roof, have administrative offices, the shelter itself, the homes, the rooms. How about, you know, would you be interested? And again, like Marilyn always said, she get, you do the Lord's work, you will provide. And it's been miraculous that we've been able to continue for 35 years. It's beautiful. And each and every time, everyone, you know, you, you see, you've seen a lot of nonprofits. They have beautiful fundraisers, and they have, but mm -hmm. my board of directors is like, no, if you're doing the Lord's work, the Lord will provide. Yeah. We only take uh, private donations. We don't take state or federal funding. We maintain um, a curriculum for uh, with, and it's a very Christian faith-based curriculum. We always um, talk freely about the love of Jesus, his saving power, the importance of turning your life over for the Lord. But we also supplement all the classes of, um, you know, nutrition education, infant care, parenting. We also, well, right now we're doing most of them on Zoom and virtual and remote learning, which is a little bit complicated. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully in the near future, we'll have uh, regular volunteers and staff and everybody coming back into the building. We also, the community is amazing. We have so many of the communities, Quincy Family Resource, Quincy Community Action Program, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless, Blue Hills, um, Blue Hills Family uh, Imperative um, that support our, our home. And they actually, they, are, they will offer so many resources to our young women we're able to come, they're able to come into the house. They offer all kinds of classes, uh, parenting mentor, one-on-one -on -one support. And right now we're struggling during the COVID virus and keeping, you know, social distancing, masks and everything. But again, God provides. We're able to continue with the support we need, mostly remotely and continuing to offer services to our women. And it's been pretty amazing um, that we're able to continue to do this. Places are closing up shop and they're having problems because they're not able to maintain the funding. And we have been surviving somehow. That's beautiful. As for how Joan got involved, it's a pretty impressive story of someone seeing a fit, a need, something that felt right, and just jumping for it with confidence that I admire. Sending in a resume to a place that didn't have a job opening is not exactly something I might do, though it might look like it on the outside. So I admire Joan for this one. I saw a fundraiser for Friends of the Unborn. It was back in 2010. No, yeah, 2010. I saw a fundraiser and I went, Friends of the Unborn, I'd never heard of it. Mm -hmm. And I read about it and my heart just filled with compassion. Um, and I said, I have to get a job there. I, I don't care if I clean the toilets, I need to get a job there. Yeah. So out of the blue, I just wrote a cover letter, a resume and just sent it off. I didn't even look to see if there were job openings or anything mm -hmm. like that. And um, as you as a college student, you understand that when you do cover letters, you, you know you have to be very professional. And I went off track a little. I sat down at my computer. I'm like, God, you got to help me with this. I want this. You know, the longings of my heart. Set mm -hmm. this up. And I just wrote this cover letter. And I started writing it very professionally. You know, giving all my 
bullet points of the important managerial skills I have, my education and small business administration and that type of thing. But I stopped and I went, that's not what, that's not what's in my heart. So can I just read you a little excerpt? Yeah. So I wrote a cover letter. It was totally unprofessional because it just gave my own personal story. Um, and I even said that, although it may seem unprofessional to include personal information in the cover letter, I felt compelled to share my story. In 1984, the same year Friends of the Unborn was created, I found myself living in Dorchester with an infant, an unplanned pregnancy, and a pending divorce. As a college student, many advised me to simply get an abortion, finish college, and start my life over. My situation seemed bleak, but with a supportive family and the grace of God, I'm happy to say I did not get an abortion. I finished college and survived the heartache of divorce. My children are happy, well-adjusted adults, both with college degrees, promising careers, and loving relationships. With a sense of community and the confidence one gains in the security of being loved by family and by God. As a single parent, I know the hardships of an unplanned pregnancy and the pain of abandonment. I can offer the compassion and empathy for your clients and staff as only one who has experienced these same issues can. She, Marilyn said, that one sentence said, I know the hardships of an unplanned pregnancy and the pain of abandonment, and I can offer the compassion and empathy. She said that was a sentence that she just fell in love with, mm -hmm. and um, she held on. She didn't contact me for almost, it was like three or four months after I sent the letter. And then she asked me to come in for an interview and meet with the board. And I came in for an interview, met with the board. They said I look like a nun, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, and I knew some of the board members. So that was kind of a little bit of a shoe in. Yeah. And then in a few months later, Marilyn asked me to come in for second interview. And she said, we're just going to bring it to the board for a vote and that type of thing. So now at this point, 10 months had already passed by since the first initial letter. So I just said, oh, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And time passed again. And just about two months after that second, Marilyn called me and she said, the Lord's just touching my heart. I need to offer you a job. Would you come in and we'll talk, you know, we can talk details. And I'm like, sure. I pretty much thought it would just be administrative doing something, you know, like an administrative assistant or, you know, a house monitor or something like that. And I came in and she said, I want I'm thinking of retiring. I want you to take my place as executive director. I almost had a heart attack right then and there. And I looked over and Marilyn had this little sign that said, I can do all things through Christ. Mm -hmm. And I had a bumper sticker on the back. I'm like, oh, it says the same thing. And I went, oh, it's like, I knew this was God saying, this is the job for you. Mm -hmm. And Marilyn knew it. I knew it. So um, she offered me the job right then and there. Here I am willing to clean toilets and she wants me to be the boss. And I, but we spent six months together. Marilyn stayed on for six months to make sure I knew everything there was to know about Friends of the Unborn. And we worked together. She was just such a mentor. And it was an amazing opportunity for the two of us to work together so closely. That's so awesome. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I, got, when I left the building, I like, skipped down the stairs mm -hmm. like I was six years old. Yeah, yeah, those moments of like, this is so right and feels so good and like, yeah. And I love how, I don't know, I'm, I totally love stories that start with like something really small, like the small tug of like, I'm just gonna send off this letter just, just to see. Or even way back when Friends of the Unborn started, like it started with a question like, 
and a like observing the community and seeing something that was happening to these women and like a question of well what should we do and then it just unfolds from there like it's and it's beautiful and you know people will think oh you're crazy because they say it was just a coincidence i really believe god sets us up in the right people at the right mm -hmm. time and he does have a great plan and it's pretty crazy sometimes i'm like you included me in that plan Lord. <laughs> but it is amazing when you and i marilyn used to always say the promptings of the lord were just mm -hmm. she had a tug a tug in her heart heart and she had the courage to follow that which is amazing yeah yeah i read a really good book over the summer with um there's a book study going on um with the abiding together podcast i don't know if you've ever listened to it but um it was the book in the school of the holy spirit by father jack philippe and it was all about how like the holy spirit like yes like we read about big saints who have had big holy spirit moments where like god like tells you exactly what to do very verbally um but in our day and age it's I don't know we need to tune ourselves into the small whispers and the small promptings and like Absolutely. there's beauty in those little moments yeah those little moments it's not the big earthquakes it's not mm -hmm. the pounding wind and the thunder it's that yeah. small still voice I like and that. I think in this society we get so busy and there's so much noise that sometimes we ignore that little voice mm -hmm. for sure and, you know and I applaud Marilyn for having the courage to listen to the voice and work and she acted on it she truly yeah. acted on it. Yeah. And to continuously act on it, like to take that first leap and then like not get scared by when the first girl came in with blue hair, like just to keep going. Yeah. She's like, okay, God. <laughs> you got me here. So true. Yeah. So true. And it continues on that the same way. You know, to this day, we still act on those little promptings. And it's really funny because people always ask about the success. Um, and I really truly believe it's because we we have daily prayer. We include prayer mass as part of the curriculum. We have mass at least once a month with our residents um, and we have a family dinner. And I think the importance of including daily prayer and making it part of the schedule and part of the curriculum is so important. And I think that's what sets us apart from a lot of the other uh, homeless shelters and, and the state and federal funded programs. Mm -hmm. Ours is truly faith-based. We depend on the Holy Spirit for guidance all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it makes a huge difference when you know, we, we depend on daily prayer as opposed to, you know, endowments and large sums of money. And mm -hmm. it's still here 35 years later, miraculously. As for what life looks like, as for what life looks like around Friends of the Unborn, Joan gives us a look at how moms end up at the home, what resources are available for them while they're there, how long they can stay, and what their life looks like on a daily basis. Well, 35 years, we have a wonderful network established. We have trusted people in the community. I mentioned some of the, um, the community resources we have. Mm -hmm. Because we've been so well-known for the past 35 years, we have social workers, nurses, doctors, midwives. Uh, there's a number of clinics and doctor's offices that know of us, and also the DTA, which I find, which is the Department of Transitional Assistance. They know of us, and a lot of times, if they're not able to help their client, their patient, they refer them to us. So we have an incredible word of mouth network that has been established over the years. Um, and that's been built, again, 
I, when you say follow the promptings of the Lord, the little nudges of the heart, that's like when a doctor is sitting there going, you know, when a young girl's crying in front of her, she's been touched and say like, you know, you can call them. They're a great place, you know? So it, it is, it's pretty miraculous how the girls are led to us. We do always pray that God gives us his discernment to help those that we can help and lead the right people to us. So it does help um, keeping that in mind. But a lot of girls also look on the internet and they do a Google search and, you know, they look for maternity homes and shelters and we're at the top of the list again. So mm -hmm. they find us through the internet. They find us through word of mouth, through, through um, a very active networking um, community. And a couple of the girls do hear like some of their, um, I love it because they have aunts or relatives and some of their mothers or godmothers will turn around and say, oh, I know this great place. And they, they send them to friends of the unborn. Yeah. And once they're here, they're allowed to stay here uh, until the babies are a year old. So it's a good, they're usually here at least 14, 15 months, which is a great opportunity for them to get settled, for them to be grounded and to find that strength and courage and confidence in themselves um, to make it forward, to go forward. So. Oh. Yeah. Um, what sort of opportunities do they have while they're there? I know you mentioned different classes. Um, I think the greatest thing, the opportunity is um, an opportunity for them just to find out who they are in the Lord, who they are in Christ, and to find out who they truly are. They're able to detach from usually this uh, negative environment um, or just, there's just too much chaos and confusion in the world and in, in their home environments and with relationships. They're able to come here and have that quiet, peaceful, restful, non-judgmental home. And it's truly a home where they can be, become grounded and find out who they are, what their goals are, where they're heading for life. That's one of the first questions, like, what is your goal in life? And a lot of the girls don't even know at that moment. So this is an opportunity for the, them to truly find out who they are yeah. and where they're going. So it's an opportunity for them to become settled in their lives, to overcome obstacles in the past. And um, it's amazing to see the woman, because when they move in, they're so overwhelmed. They're usually crying. They just don't, they feel like they've, um, they failed at everything, failed at life. They've screwed up everything. And for them to see them to grow and mature it really is miraculous to see them to come into themselves through Christ. It's always, and through the Holy Spirit, to see that miracle happening right before our eyes is such a great blessing. And then when they're finally strong enough with your little baby on their hip and they're getting ready to move on, we're the ones crying because yeah. it's just such, oh, I cannot explain in words the joy we experience as a staff just to be a small witness to this amazing transformation. Mm. It's just so humbling. You know, it's not like that for every single woman. Some girls don't stay long. Some girls are, don't love the rules and they have a different agenda. And we still send them off with a blessing and we know that we've planted a seed yeah. and with time. We know that growth will happen and will occur. And we're just happy and pleased and excited that a new little baby has an opportunity yeah. change the world <laughs> true very true how old are most of the girls that come you know it's really funny when Marilyn started the average age was about 18 and a half okay now when we do the average age it's 
looks like it's between 24 and a half and 25 and a half. Hmm. Interesting. So it's sad because it has become more or less a financial burden. I'm going to pause Joan right there and jump in with some numbers. Though Friends of the Unborn is a private shelter, as in they don't take federal, state, or local funding. Um, however, Joan is going to talk in a minute about SNAP and WIC, SNAP being the new name for food stamps and WIC being women, infant, and children. These are some federal assistance programs, um, and as social justice and election season are hot topics currently, um, here's some numbers that will make you think about these programs that the girls at Friends and so many others use. In Boston, for a two-person family, you cannot make more than $1,410 per month for your net income, which is with once the housing cost has been subtracted. Um, and before the housing cost, you cannot make per month for gross income $2,800 before you pay for housing. And that's for a two-person family. The average one-bedroom apartment in Boston is $2,600 per month. That's just the average. With those stats, you're eligible, with all of those numbers, for $355 of SNAP benefits per month, which comes out to about $44 per person per week if you're in a two-person family, or with $2 per meal before you add in any snacks or special food or dietary concerns. So this is just to shout it from the mountains that no one can do this to get rich, scam the system, etc. There is no way to do it with less than $2 or sometimes mere cents per meal per day per person. So please donate to your local food pantry. Um, yes, spread the word, vote wisely, um, and just love on these programs. Don't hate on them. All right, that is enough of my preaching. Back to regularly scheduled programming. So most of the girls, um, most of the girls had, you know, they're, some of them have some college education, some of them, most of the girls have finished their high school. Um, they just kind of lost their way a bit. And, you know, they move in with boyfriends thinking they're making the right decisions. And then when an unplanned pregnancy comes along, sometimes they get the end of the guy, they can't afford an apartment in this area on their yeah. own. And unfortunately, because of the economic status and the way things have been going, it's nearly impossible for a young woman to have her own apartment and to try to go forward. So at Friends, it gives them the opportunity to get settled, to figure out and come up with a game plan, um, better themselves through education. Uh, actually, two of our girls are actually enrolled in um, classes over at Quincy College. They're starting, and another girl is trying to, she'll probably start in January over at Bunker, Bunker Hill. So okay. it gives them the opportunity that aren't panicking and worried about making sure they can get the rent paid, finding an apartment, you know, who's going to have the baby and all this other stuff. They get to come here, get settled, and they have over a year to get that all worked out. And it gives them a great opportunity to get back to school, better themselves through education, and come up with a game plan for their future. Yeah, yeah. How many girls do you currently have? Right now, we, are, we normally have 12. And because of COVID, and from the guidance of our board of, direct, I mean, our board of health here in Quincy, We've cut our numbers down to seven, so they can each have their own room. We currently only have six. Okay. Uh, we have appointments for more for other people moving, you know, for applications, and we'll see how that goes. But this way, everyone will have their own room. We have one really large room that we can fit two women, 
in case anyone does get sick, we have the opportunity that each of them will, can be quarantined in their own room. Um, we have two full, three full baths that we don't have to worry about, you know, like sharing. So this, you may have a number of showers and bathrooms and everything. So the house is set up that they each have their own bedroom for safety reasons and for to make sure that they keep their infants safe. We don't have to worry about anyone getting any diseases or any, you know, COVID virus. Um, but all the other spaces are shared, bathrooms, kitchen and everything. Mm -hmm. So right now, six seems to be the best number. And I know it sounds low. It's half of what we normally have. But I think for the safety of the women we have, it's more important. In the last two women that gave birth, one was six weeks premature and the other was four weeks premature. So we definitely have to make sure that we can provide the safest environment for the premature babies. They had to spend weeks in the hospital before they could come home. Yeah. So currently, um, as things open up, we will continue to add more women. Um, and we'll go by the guidance of the Board of Health in the city of Quincy um, just to protect our women as a whole, not only spiritually, but physically as well. We have to make sure that we can provide the safest environment. At this point, we're not using any in-house volunteers. Mm -hmm. And we have a very limited staff. I have to say it's been slightly stressful, yeah. but again, God provides. We all seem to manage and mm. kick in. We're starting some of our classes. Um, we've been having outdoor classes in the nice weather. Yeah. Instead of just doing it remotely uh, through Zoom, but some of our teachers are not able to join us. So we're going to be doing a hybrid like everybody else. Mm -hmm. We'll have some classes that will be Zoom but through Zoom meetings and some classes will be in person with social distancing outside, weather permitting, um, and keeping our women safe as possible. Nice. Very nice. Does anyone, um, are the classes only for those who are living there, or are they for, like, alumni kind of as well? The classes are for women currently living here, and we do let alumni back all the time. <laughs> um, we do, I have to say. A couple of, um, especially when we have, We'll have the fire department come in and do fire safety. Mm -hmm. So we'd like to have as many women come in and they will have the information. But we also have the police department come in and do a car seat safety. So it's good. So if some of the girls, right now we're not doing that because of COVID, but we'll be adding those classes in again. So some of our women who left have never had a car seat safety class. So we'll mm -hmm. have them come. They'll come back for the car seat safety. But we also celebrate mass once a month. And we usually open up to a lot of our um, previous residents yeah we're still having our masses outside which is beautiful it's been mm -hmm. god loves us so much every mass it's been beautiful weather mm -hmm. we have a nice little tent out there um you know just a little canopy and we have a couple of picnic tables tables chairs and everything and we do have beautiful mass we celebrate with father mike mcnamara yeah. and the last mass we had we had the daughters of mary of nazareth that joined mm -hmm. us in song which was beautiful Awesome. So, and it's, our yard is plenty big enough that we can do this safely with social distancing. And we still try to keep our numbers down too. We're always counting heads to make sure yeah. that we don't break any rules. You know, even though we have the right to worship, we still want to make sure mm -hmm. that we follow the guidelines. It's, you know, a nasty disease out there and we want to make sure we're keeping our women safe. Yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, kind of transitioning from that. I, so Back earlier in our conversation, we were talking about like the still small voice and like the little nudges. Um, 
if people want to do something similar or help Friends of the Unborn either like this house or like start their own house if that's a nudge, what would be your advice? Like how can people get involved in this sort of approach of having maternity homes? It's funny. I've already had a couple of people come. They come in and meet with us um, to ask how we got started. And Mm -hmm. we've had, this is, it's nudging a lot of people's uh, hearts. There's Mm -hmm. what I always give the most important thing is you take it to prayer. Yeah. You spend time in adoration. If rosary is your thing, you know, you just commit to rosary novenas. You start with prayer just to make sure and clarify that you're really doing this for God's glory. You're not out there trying to, you know, add a boy and, and one for yourself. Start with prayer, the most important thing. That's how Marilyn started. Mm-hmm. And that's how we've been blessed throughout these years. Um, moving forward, it is a good idea to see if there is a need in your area. It, you know, of course, one city or town would be more likely um, more beneficial than a different location. We are located within walking distance to the T. We can, you can walk to the post office, city hall, if you have to do the DTA office. You can walk to the Quincy Housing Authority. You can walk mm-hmm. to the WIC, which is Women, and Infant, Women, Infant, and Children's Office. Everything is in walking distance or a shot, short bus ride. Um, location is extremely important. Yeah. A lot of people think, oh, it might be better to have them out a little further out, more you know, a more suburban area, but that's not always convenient. Most of the time we find um, a person looking for sheltering doesn't have a vehicle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Transportation is difficult for them, so they do depend on public transportation and the convenience. Uh, The the grocery stores around the corner, there are other, everything is so conveniently located. I'm jumping in again to say that this is so, so important. People who need a little extra support or on the other end are people who are chronically homeless, they work hard to find the support that they need in a particular community. Resources like healthcare, housing offices where you get access to lotteries and vouchers, accessible supermarkets, accessible in both transportation and cost ways, um, public transportation, um, and even just communities and social networks for those who are in poverty or who are homeless are so, so important and cannot be substituted in a suburban environment. They don't exist. Ripping people away from their supports that are meant for this particular population is just about the worst thing that you can do. But, and you also have to remember the, um, the environment you're in. Our, our neighborhood is truly a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We talk with the neighbors across the street. We, you know, we're, um, we check on the elderly lady who lives next door, make sure everything's okay. See if she needs any grocery shopping. So, it's important not to just sit there and think, okay, we'll establish a shelter or a home. It truly is a maternity home. The whole idea is learning to live in a community, in a faith-based community. Um, when they learn to fellowship within their own home and take care of each other, it, it, it flows out naturally into the neighborhood and they're helping. Even the, I see the women, when I come into work, sometimes I see the women, you know, either sw- sw- they'll be sweeping or shoveling the people next door's yard, you know, knowing there's an elderly person there. Or um, I see them picking up the trash and everything, not just in our yard, but if they see some in the street, they'll go out and make sure it's all nice and neat and clean in the street. Mm-hmm. So you do see that the love and fellowship does flow out. It's just like dropping a pebble in the stream. 
Yeah. And it just flows and goes beyond the home. And that's the idea you're thinking about. There are so many opportunities. I know a lot of different churches, church groups, and church communities are looking at some of the old convents, the old rectories that have closed and trying to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. The importance is ours is set up for women caught in an unplanned pregnancy. If you have the tools and the skills and the staff that you're looking, you may want to help somebody who's going through mental health illnesses. Um, or if there's drug addiction or alcohol, that's a whole different type of program you need to establish. You truly, that's why we say put it to prayer. You need to find out who you want to help and target your group. Um, it's, you're not able to help and save everyone. And there's a, you know, there's a terrible situation where uh, human trafficking just exists yeah. right under our own nose. That a woman caught in human trafficking that has found herself in an unplanned pregnancy, she just needs a certain type of love and care and support that we might not be able to provide, um, you know, as a general home. So that's another area that people can look into. If they're following these promptings, I say to um, listen to what's in your heart, do some research online and find out where these services are needed. Um, the best, there are a lot of opportunities uh, that are state and federally funded, but they're missing the faith-based, the, you know, incorporating the idea of the Holy Spirit and fellowship and everything. So it's a big undertaking. It's something that you have to take seriously and it's best to put it to prayer first. Mm -hmm. And ours, unfortunately, we can't service a woman who's in an active addiction. I don't have 24-hour medical staff to help with that situation and you have to know your limits you have to know your gifts but you have to know your limits we would probably cause more harm than good yeah. if we tried to help you know someone in an active addiction mm -hmm. so it's truly you have to pinpoint where the area and the, the client that you're help, hoping to help if the lord is tugging on your heart like how can i help what small way can i be of service this is it Joan's about to talk about it. We have a wish list in the show notes with things that they are in need of. Here's some more info on helping during COVID. I know with COVID, you can't come visiting a lot of houses, but you can do, we're desperate in desperate need of newborn clothes. We've gotten, because we are, we usually have baby showers, you know, a lot of oh, churches during 40 days for, you know, at Lent, um, Mother's Day. They provide a lot of our um, clothes and diapers. We have plenty of diapers and wipes right now, but the clothing, it's funny, we're running out of clothing and now we're transitioning into the fall. So we need all fall and winter. But a lot of people don't like to buy us the smallest ones, like little newborn clothes, because they think, oh, they outgrow them so fast. But we come home with a six pound baby. <laughs> you need something that fits a six pound baby. Mm -hmm. So um, just organizing, you know, get together and organize a baby shower. You can do it virtually. We do have, um, I think we have a baby shower list in Target and, you know, that for different items that we constantly need, we do update it frequently. Um, those are great ways of active ways of getting together and organizing little drives to help out. And there are other lots, there are a few other homes like Visitation House and Bethesda House. They're in all need of um, clothing and diapers and wipes. And, and at this time, this point in time, we were so grateful that people organized we had toilet paper drives and paper towel drives we were never so happy people started that outside of our home um, knowing that we'd need it we had 
we had people who would drop off gallons of hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. So you sometimes when you think, when I say that God provides, he does touch the hearts of those. So getting together, organizing these virtual um, baby shower drives or um, diaper drives, those are great ways to physically help. A lot of people, it was really funny when people got that um, the stimulus check, mm -hmm. we got so many donations saying, oh, we got the stimulus check. We were like, we were so shocked. People that normally would donate $10 were donating a hundred. It was just amazing. And it brought us right through the fall without having to worry about financial burden. Or, it was amazing that God truly provided. Yeah. But another thing that's important and is the opportunity to, to come together with friends and family and classmates in organizing, say, an online rosary, you know, rosary for life, a virtual um, holy hour for life. Those are the most important things. We're in some very dark times. Uh, there, the culture is just so, um, it's a culture of death. And it's just, just so sad that we see such a godless society. And we need the strength, the courage, and the commitment of those who are willing to pray every single day, whether you organize it as a nine-day novena, a rosary for life, some type of adoration. Um, those are so important in order to keep us going. We actually, our staff, once a month, we get together for half a day of day reflection with Father Mike. We leave the office. We have mass. We have study, Bible study. You have to refresh yourself. Yeah. And fighting against you know the the darkness that's out there you do have to step away and prayer is so important but i believe in the power of prayer from the whole community if i don't have all of these other groups you know if everybody just drops off diapers that's great but we need prayer mm -hmm. and the power of prayer in order you know that we're that's what we truly need um to come together as community it brings us together as we all one family in christ and it just is amazing that when we come together in prayer and you see just the benefits from it. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And I don't know. I love the idea of having like a mini retreat, like very frequently um, yeah. to step away. That's definitely necessary in ministry and all types of ministry for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It truly is. And it, it is, um, it is an opportunity um, for us. To every We need to be refreshed. We need to refresh our souls. We need to refresh our spirits. We need to refresh our minds. And sometimes, and, and you read in the scripture all the time, Jesus always went off by himself to pray. He always went to the mountaintop. To the, he just went off by himself. And it was so important in order for him to be strong and to, be, to go through doing God's will, you need to have that backing. And, you know, right now people are too busy. They don't have time for prayer. They don't have time, you know, and there's just so much going on. But that's the only thing that's truly going to make a big difference in the world. Mm, so so true do you I, I have two kind of connected questions that I've been asking all people in sort of like social justice ministry as ministry can drain you a little bit oh well, um, <laughs> well sometimes <laughs> um what is your favorite way to pray and then what is your favorite non-religious hobby that helps you de-stress well that's really funny because those are the same one and the same <laughs> My non-religious hobby is I run. Um, okay. I commit to running three days a week. I always say, oh, I do three days a week for the Holy Trinity. Okay. <laughs> so symbolically, I run three days a week because mm -hmm. I know that it takes God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to get oh, anything God. done. And when I run, 
I either do a Divine Mercy Chaplet or a Rosary. And each time my foot hits the ground, it's a prayer. I always say it's I am praying for somebody who's truly suffering, not this self-inflicted suffering of me running. Mm -hmm. So by combining, I am outside, I get the fresh air, I get to see the glory of God's creation. And I absolutely love being outside. I'm not a gym person. I know the importance of staying physically fit. If God wants me to do his work, you have to honor this temple that he has provided. You have to eat right. You have to sleep. You have to stay physically fit. And I do that through running. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's my non-religious thing. And it's an escape. I run away from all my problems. I just, I always say, what am I running from? Farm, farm, you know, and Mm -hmm. I, um, I commit to doing the running, like I said, three days a week. I'm a wimp. I don't like to run in bad weather. So I always time my running when the weather Mm -hmm. will cooperate. So I'll be running in the morning, the middle of the afternoon, in the evening, whenever it's not raining or snowing. (laughs) Yep. And, and, um, but my favorite form of prayer is community, which bothers me so much that they shut down the churches and everything. I love to come together in community. We, I just always love that. Charismatic prayer group has been amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm one that loves the music, yeah. that loves praising. I, I was a cheerleader for, you know, like eight years going <laughs> through um, middle school, you know, elementary school, middle school, and high school. So I'm, I love to raise my voice. I love to raise my hands. I jump up in joy. And mm-hmm. it's funny, I feel like, you know, I'm still cheering for God, yeah. <laughs> my praise and glory. So, I do love praying in community and it's been so difficult for me. I know the virtual prayers and the rosaries are great on Zoom meetings, but I didn't love them. Yeah. I, the first day the church was, well, I was always going down to um, St. John the Baptist. They were open for adoration, mm-hmm. limited to 10 people, total silence. So I would do that as often as I could throughout the whole thing. But when they actually opened up for mass, the press, I cry I will I'll cry again I was so I'm like we're in mass it's yeah like, it was so funny tears of joy total tears of joy yeah. I love community I love fellowship and I love coming together in that form of prayer mm-hmm. so but combining the two with running has been um it's a great way to stay in shape and it's a great way and it's funny when you say the still small voices sometimes I go out I'm going to pray for the president. I'm going to pray for the Republicans, the Democrats. I'll have it in my heart to pray for government. But sometimes when I go out, somebody's name will just pop in my head mm. and I'll just dedicate a whole rosary. Like, I don't know why you want me to pray for them, Lord, but you know better than I do. Yeah. Your ways are higher than my ways, as we just heard. Um, so I will I try to listen to the promptings of the Lord. And then sometimes I go out there totally depleted, overwhelmed, exhausted. I'm like, God. I'm just going to go through a divine mercy chaplet and you got to help me through this day. And Mm -hmm. so it is, sometimes it can be selfish and I'm praying for myself, but for the most part, you listen to the promptings of the Lord and it is so refreshing and it's so beautiful knowing that you did that little bit of sacrifice of time. I don't run for hours. I'm saying 30 minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. you're out there for 30 minutes. You sacrificed your time and you've given up. Because you do, you get little cramps and a little tweaks yeah. and pains, but that little pain you offer up for someone else and it makes your run so much more meaningful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love that. And then I also, um, during the whole COVID thing, I was totally binge watching mass and it was awesome. I was preparing 
homily against homily, which priest said it best. It was yeah. like battle of the homily. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Who won? <laughs> well, you know what? Bishop Barron kept winning. But every now and then, I, I just loved listening to Bishop Barron. Every now and then, Father Matt Williams, he just, I, I mean, yeah. hands down, just took yeah. over. It was great. Yeah. But I do have to say, for the most part, Bishop Barron did kind of yeah. take it up to a whole new level. But Father Matt was a very close second. <laughs> That's a, that's a pretty powerful duo right there. That I know. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's like binge watching all these ridiculous shows. I'm sitting there in mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many homilies can I watch in a day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. I watch people. I actually listen to masses in Polish. I don't even speak Polish. In Italian. Oh, I listen to Italian masses. In Australian. In Australia, you know what they did? They had the priest in the church. Yeah. They had the lector in his own home. And they had the singer in his own home. So they had like the three meetings. Yeah. Zoom meeting. It was really cool. That is very so they cool. shut down everything. Yeah. So that's how they did their services Interesting. in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Um, all right. So we have to wrap up in a second. But is there any other like parting advice that you would like to live leave listeners with, keeping in mind that our audience is like young adults, college students, that sort of thing? You have to remember that everything you have is a gift. Mm. The gift of life. If you do have a pregnancy, it's a gift from God. That child is not yours. That child is God's child. And you were gifted with the privilege and the opportunity to be that child's parent. Everything you have is a gift. Your college education, your new career, stepping out into a job, everything that you get is truly gifts. Mm -hmm. And once we realize that it wasn't my accomplishments that got me there, it was really the grace and gift of God and the gratitude kicks in then society is so much more beautiful. I like to say that here at Friends of the Unborn, we're teaching them, teaching our residents and our women, we've learned so much from them as well, that they truly are a gift to us and their babies are a gift to them. And once they learn the beauty of that present from God and being just knowing that everything given to us is pure gift and pure grace, that has given us the opportunity to change the world. And I always laugh and joke and say, we are changing the world here, but we just do it one diaper at a time. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. So, yeah. Just take everything as a gift. And mm -hmm. once you do, that gratitude opens your heart to so much more. And um, like I said, we can change the world. We think we are we're one small person you know, even Mother Teresa, she's always saying, you know, you don't have to do great things, just small things with great love. Mm -hmm. And that's truly what we do here. Every decision we make, everything's done with great love. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So good. Well, it's so good to hear from you and so good to talk to you. It has been an honor and a privilege speaking with you. Thank you so, so much to Joan for being on this episode of the podcast, and thank you all for listening to it. We are back on our Monday morning schedule, so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to listen in next Monday. As always, you can find this podcast and all of the other Grexley podcasts on grexley.com, as well as our merch and Patreon on there as well if you feel called to support this media endeavor. If you have a guest recommendation, send it our way at grexley.com slash to the heights in the contact form or email us directly at to the heights podcast at gmail.com. Additionally, if you have any questions for me about social justice, anything we've talked about on this season, or just life, 
send it in for our next Ask Olivia episode, also using tothehightspodcast at gmail.com. Your weekly challenge this week, um, getting back to those, is to send this podcast to a friend, pro-life or bonus points if they're pro-choice, to tell them about this super cool organization that is helping women who find themselves in unplanned pregnancies choose life on their own and need a home. Remember, pro-choice is not just pro-abortion. I feel like both sides forget that a lot. Pro-choice, in theory, should also be uplifting these life-giving organizations like Friends of the Unborn, um, as well as definitely pro-life people should be absolutely supporting and giving their all to these organizations. Um, Enough of my preaching for this episode. Um, I hope you all are well during this crazy time. I will talk to you next week, and in the meantime, keep on reaching to the heights.